How about this fucking team right here? Dustin Brown, short-handed for LA. Score! Here is Goligoski. He gets leveled at the blue line by Dowdy. Food for it, cheer for uh, Kind of like it. Richard throws it in front. Carter, score! Some swagger. Push come to shove, we're gonna get it done. This is for you, Kings fans, wherever you may be. Alright, so I feel like I should start off by saying, first of all, that this is the second time that we are trying to record this podcast. We recorded it as usual on Saturday, or yes, a Saturday, and we're going to put it up as normal and then realize we had some major technical difficulties. So here we are again, and we're going to try to pretend that it's fresh. This isn't the first time we've had to do this. Everybody's familiar. <laughs> um, what's really funny is that we've done, what, like 60-some-odd episodes of this now? Yes. And still we get technical problems like this kind of all the time. This is not the first time we've re-recorded an episode. It's probably not going to be the last time, even though uh, you said that it was your New Year's resolution, and I think it's going to be mine, too, to, like, right. not mess this up. 2015, let's not re-record any episodes. Uh, although, at least this time, we are not trying to do it on the road, because there was, of course, that time where I was, like, in San Jose, and you were in San Francisco, and we were having to do an episode again. <laughs> at least it's not that. Oh, man. Um... And so I guess this is what actors feel like when they have to tell the same joke over and over again and or react with extreme laughter um, at something. So, you know, it's just we're going to have great acting careers after this. And it's a game for for everybody listening to try to pick out where the laughter is genuine and where we've already told each other these jokes before. (laughs) (laughs) So have fun with that. And actually, I want to start not by talking about the Kings. I want to talk about the Sharks first. And this is actually mostly new because we didn't really talk about them that much but they have been hilarious the last mm, week or so starting with i don't know if you saw it but ryan dunn retweeted earlier because the sharks played the oilers and also um congratulations to the sharks for being the team that finally lost to the oilers amazing work and it wasn't even a close game like the oilers (laughs) outplayed them the entire time just stellar performance I'm just imagining Joe Thornton's face just being like, I can't believe we just did this against the Oilers. (laughs) Of all the teams, it had to be us against the Oilers. But before, so of course, everybody, I don't, well, I don't know, maybe you don't know if you don't follow the Sharks at all, because who cares? Anyway, after the Kings embarrassed them in the playoffs, they fired Drew Remenda, who was their color guy. And so he's been working... um, So he got a chance to, since they were playing the Oilers do color for the Sharks again, in a way, on a different broadcast. And the day before, like when he was, you know, going to prepare for this, his son, Davis Remenda, sent out this tweet with a picture of him and his dad that said, hey, San Jose Sharks fans, this bald bitch is back. See you tomorrow. (laughs) Hashtag the return. Which is the most amazing tweet. This bald bitch is back. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. I so, like it a know, lot. That's an excellent tagline. That's what I'm going to think about anytime I think of Drew Remenda at this point is this vault bitch is back. <laughs> so good. Oh, God. Anyway, so that game happened also on the heels of, you know, the, the Kings had just a few days before released the episode three of the Stanley Cup moments, the comeback 
which was great because it was like, let's rub in how well the Kings managed to embarrass the Sharks by beating them in a series that the Sharks went up three games to zero in. And then the Sharks were like, well, we're going to do absolutely nothing really to prove that we've gotten any better. We're actually going to lose to the Oilers. And then and then today they released their ridiculous um, holiday, their Christmas music video. Did you see that? I did not see that because I have extreme secondhand embarrassment. And <laughs> thus, unless someone summarizes it for me first, and I can watch it like privately at home where I can easily stop and start and like run away from the computer. Um, I don't watch it. So <laughs> I yeah. have yet to watch this. I may eventually I'm probably not going to. <laughs> That's fair. I had to watch it in like in increments at work and like take a break because it was kind of a mess. Um, it's ridiculous. I don't. I don't think you have to unless you are just feeling the need to laugh at the San Jose Sharks. Though, of course, as usual, uh, Tomas Riddle and and Long Beach native Matt Nieto are very charming in it. Matt Nieto does a lot of bad rapping. Okay, there is so much bad (laughs) rapping in hockey videos, and that hurts me. Like, it really does. Like, that time that Mike Richards bad rapped? No, no. (laughs) It's so offensive Uh, to me. (laughs) My my favorite thing still, which I I think I've said before, is the clip from... It's one of Cabby Richards' videos where he's talking to Mike shortly after that thing was filmed, the Funny or Die video, uh, and they they mentioned the rap thing, and Mike's like, yeah, my my career is really taken off now. (laughs) They should have had him uh, guest feature. That'd be awesome, actually. And you mentioned Joe Thornton's just devastated face, and actually in that Stanley Cup Moments episode, there is a great shot of when they're talking about how, like, the Kings had managed to get into the shark's head and whatnot, and they show clips of them the sharks in the locker room like during the media scrum after whichever game it was i forget where they there's another just beautiful shot of joe thornton like looking devastated and it's kind of desaturated too so he looks even more like sad death it's amazing joe Thor- it's like sadness like instagram filtered like and all of that um <laughs> right, looks yeah. good. also i think it uh i think no not marlo Oh, it was Dan Boyle who, like, did an interview, like, during that Stanley Cup moments, like, it was clipped in there, where he just looked like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) And it was really good for me. (laughs) That's a whole great episode. And they released today the Ducks one for the freeway face-off. And what I realized, like, it's also a great episode, but what I realized about that series, because I feel like for Kings fans, of those three series, it's sort of the least... I don't know, like everybody built it up as like, finally, they meet in the playoffs. And maybe any other season, it would have felt like, oh, finally, we get to see these two teams in the playoffs. But it ended up being the least exciting in a way. And I think partly it was because of how dramatic the first series was with the comeback, and then how just hard fought and emotional the Western Conference final felt that that second series just kind of in retrospect feels like, yeah, it happened. Yeah, it really doesn't pack any sort of, like, emotional punch with me. And uh, you and I always talk about how we could have gone to every single one of those games since it was so close, and yet we went to none of them um, during that series, but we went to games in, like, every other series. So um, obviously we knew ahead of time that this was just going to be kind of an inconsequential series. Um, And yeah, like, I definitely... While watching that video, I was like, this is awesome. I remember this. This was cool. Um, but it didn't really, you know, it wasn't as satisfying as any of the other series were. 
The only time that I ever feel like where, where I'm watching that series or thinking about it and I feel like, oh man, this is really exciting, is that game seven. But, and it's only partially because of the play on the ice. And it's more about like the atmosphere. Like obviously the atmosphere where Kings fans dominate Ducks fans in the Honda Center in terms of loudness and chants doesn't happen if the Kings don't play that well in game seven. But because they play so well and everybody's feeling like, great, they're going to the next round. The Kings fans like chanting things like, this is our house in the Honda Center, that's amazing. And that's probably the only part of that series where I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Just that feeling of going into another building and, and ruining everything for everybody. That's my favorite thing about Kings Ducks games in Honda Center during the regular season. And it got amplified in that game seven. I mean, we always love when uh, the Ducks goalies get, you know, chanted at in their own arena. Yes. That speak yes. that speaks to my very soul. Yeah, so that part was worth it. But overall, like just can't compare to that Shark series or the emotions felt during the series with the Blackhawks. Just to I guess while while we were talking about the or while I was talking about the Sharks and Oilers game, an interesting thing about that I thought I don't know. It, it doesn't relate to the Kings at this point in in what this franchise is doing, but I thought it was interesting. Was that a few days before when they had lost to the Coyotes, Andrew Ference was talking to reporters and basically started talking about like the morale and how part of the reason that it seems hard for them to get anything together is that guys don't seem motivated. And so the exact quote was, it's there, it has to be done on the ice. And basically he was talking about the message from management and them trying to create a winning culture. And he was saying, it's there, it has to be done to come in here and try to convince these guys that they should be excited to play in the NHL and have some pride and not mope around. It's a joke. It shouldn't happen at this level. Until guys can figure that part out, it's going to be a constant cycle. And I understand what he's saying, but at the same time, like when you think about like, Guys like Taylor Hall or Jordan Eberle and before, I mean, even still, because it's not like the Coyotes are doing very much, but like even Sam Gagne, who like before he left, like those guys have never seen any playoff games and they've never even been in a situation where the Oilers do a lot more winning than they do losing. So when they go on like these streaks of losing or whatever, it's and your people are like, I don't know what to make of it. Maybe it is. I don't know. Do you think it just could be like a morale thing? Like, is it just hard to be like, but you should want to win for guys who don't know what it feels like at the NHL level? I mean, I think we talked about it in a prior uh, episode about how obviously these players train to do this. They want to win every single game. But I don't know. Maybe it is. You know, sometimes if you're (laughs) – I hate but love to bring up the Drew Daddy quote about your heart doesn't get tired, but I'm going to. (laughs) And maybe it's kind of, you know, subconsciously one of those things where, you know, all you need is one little push to kind of like get that last goal or, you know, keep that lead or whatever, and your heart's just not in it because at the end of the day, what's it going to matter? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they're always losing. They don't have any, like, I don't know. And it's not like there's been significant change within the Oilers to think that, you know, something better could happen. Like, there's no new person, new management, new style of play or anything like that. Um, new coaches, but I don't know if that's really, like, helped them too much. Um, to give them like hope or inspiration that, you know, this year it's going to be different. So I don't know, maybe that is sort of like a, a subconscious kind of thing. Like they don't have that extra last push because they're just not, they're not in it because the morale is so low. Do you think then it's like time to trade some of those 
core players. And they haven't. And that's sort of been everybody's big question is like, okay, they make these little moves and they've turned over a significant number of players, but none of the guys that they consider cornerstone. And I'm like, well, okay, if you keep losing, how special is this like core group that you think that you have? Do you think it's time for them to get rid of like Anil Yakupov or... I don't know, Brian Nugent Hopkins or anybody else who seems to be or who they seem to consider a star player on their team, not just for the franchise to see if it helps them bring in pieces they need, but also for some of these dudes. Like maybe it's like, well, okay, they're kind of too sad. So (laughs) send them elsewhere. Maybe they'll have another chance. I mean, kind of. Yeah, I I think it's it's time for a pretty large change because it's obvious that it's not working right now. I, I mean, you can you can hoard all of the best pieces you can, but if they don't play well together, like then right. what's the point? So obviously, point. it hasn't worked. Um, get rid of something, get something else, you know, in return, preferably good, uh, preferably defense, I think, and yeah, you know, shake things up because there. I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now, but there have definitely been trades where. You know, it seems super lopsided for one team because they traded away like a superstar player, but in return got, you know, maybe two mediocre players, but it's worked for them just because that fit the dynamic of what their team needed. So maybe the Oilers need to look at it kind of like that. I I kind of agree with the whole like in the drafting idea, like you draft the best player regardless um, of what your needs are necessarily, but obviously that has not worked for them. It's not working out. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. So I think it's time that they actually, you know, uh, make some changes. I mean, I think a key part of that idea of drafting well, though, is like drafting to your needs. And they haven't really because they've only, what, Darnell Nurse is, I think, possibly the only defenseman that they have drafted in recent years. If you only have that one defenseman that you've drafted, clearly you're not addressing everything you need to. I, I would agree. That, like, And I like that they signed like Mark Fain. But he's not a one-two defenseman, so they still need, like, a top guy or a couple, both, probably. They needed a whole new top pairing. So, I mean, someone like Andrew Ferentz knows what it likes to be in a winning, knows what it is like to be in a winning position. It's a little easier for him to bounce back, but maybe, maybe not for some of those guys who haven't really experienced it at this level anyway. And I think to bring it back to the Kings, um, there's probably a reason that the only player part of this sort of Stanley Cup winning era who has been here in Los Angeles for a really long time is Dustin Brown. Like he was here since 2003. From there, I think, you know, the next um, sort of longest tenured player is probably Andre Kopitar, I think, if I'm, I'm remembering the timeline right. So it's hard, I think, to keep players through a lot of losing, even if you're not thinking about the well-being of the players in general. But just like you said, if the chemistry isn't working, why would you keep holding on to things that aren't working right? Just keep working on it until you find the combination that does. And it feels like the Oilers aren't really doing that. And now the Kings are in the enviable position of having a lot of depth because they found the thing that works and it's taking longer for other players to come up. It's just like uh, like an embarrassment of riches right now. Um, mm-hmm. I feel kind of bad for the, the Monarchs people who <laughs> might be like, oh, you know, maybe I'll get my time. And everyone decides to like take pay cuts to stay with the Kings or what have you. And it's like, well, I guess I'm still in Manchester. Jordan Wheel, waiting in the wings. I'm waiting for you too, Jordan Wheel. <laughs> Every <laughs> single time. <laughs> One day I'll get to see him play in Sable Center and he will 
get to play there. It'll be a win for both of us. Uh, someone who did not take a pay cut for the Kings. Let's talk about Alec Martinez with his six-year extension. Yeah, that was unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not unexpected that he was signed, but yeah, but like the price for it. Not what I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be. Me either. I think... When they first started talking about the fact that they were negotiating with him, there was sort of an offhand comment. I forget by who who was talking about it. Um, LeBron, maybe? I don't know. One of those guys who said the Kings have their own numbers, but Martinez and his agent have some numbers ex- that suggest that he's worth $4 million. And we're all like, no way. Come on, dude. You were like scratched for a lot of even last season <laughs> before he went on his tear. Well, look who's laughing now. <laughs> All the way to the bank. All, All the, the way, way to the bank. <laughs> jazz handing with like wads of money all the way to the bank good for him the priciest jazz hands in southern california (laughs) for real alec martinez and i i i don't know do you i mean people have already speculated that it might have something to do with voinov i don't necessarily think it's a commentary on whether or not slava voinov will stay with the team regardless of what happens with his legal case but i do wonder if that factored a little bit into the negotiations in terms of like, look, there is some uncertainty. So you probably want to keep all the guys you can give me $4 million. Well, he wasn't arguing for himself, but his agent. Yeah, I think that uh, was probably part of the the reason that everything was settled the way it was. I mean, it's a smart move, you know, make sure that all the pieces are there. There's, you know, just in case whatever happens with Voinov, you know, everything else kind of stays the same. And I mean, I don't mind it either. I, I, lo- I like Alec Martinez. He had a career year last season in terms of point production. I think he had an act- actually his, a better possession season um, in the shortened season. But he produced a lot. He scored some iconic goals. If you're a Kings fan now in two series to help win the Stanley Cup, that's awesome. The only downside is, as Rich Hammond pointed out on Twitter, the Kings now already have $60 million committed to only 14 players for next season. Does that frighten you? Yes, it does. So you should stop mentioning it because I don't want to think about it yet. Hush, hush. Just just don't, just don't say anything else. Just don't think about it. I just... As I say all the time, I'm just so worried about Justin Williams. You can't see it, but I'm like smushing my face (laughs) with my fingers as I worry. I know exactly the face you're making because I've seen you worry about (laughs) Justin Williams in person. And it's like a full, it's a full body affair. It's just like, oh, it's anguish. I just don't want him to go anywhere. I think... I mean, it's, it's, I don't know, there has been no actual indication from the Kings that they would let Justin Williams go. There's been no indication, but like either way between whether or not they'd be more likely to keep Jared Stoll or Justin Williams, because those are the two who are um, up for new contracts. And I think between the two of them, I would much rather keep Justin Williams, who continues to prove that he drives possession, even when he's not always scoring goals. And actually, this season, his shooting percentage and um, just even just the amount of shot attempts that he's taking are really high. So I think he still has a lot of usefulness, and I don't want to see him leave, especially because I don't think that Tyler Toffoli, who I think is the most likely to sort of replace William's function on the ice is quite ready. I mean, judging by the fact that still Daryl Sutter will bench Toffoli randomly for several shifts in a period. (laughs) Uh, That's very true. I I think Justin Williams still has, you know, 
some good years in him, um, and I definitely would not like to see him go. I'm hoping that the reminder of his con smitheness will, you know, remain in the minds of everyone, and that'll uh, be a, like a reason for him to stick around some more as well. I hope so. That's what I want. I I want him to stick around, um, and I hope that you know someone like Alec Martinez signing for $4 million doesn't jeopardize that for Justin Williams. And also for me personally, because let's be honest, that's what I'm really thinking about me getting to watch Justin Williams play for the Kings. It's all about (laughs) our emotions, not the good of the team. (laughs) When everyone realizes that, life will be much better. I mean, as long as we all are clear on where we stand, I just want to be up front. Yes. (laughs) Um, Another player who was kind of floated might eventually be a problem in terms of salary for the Kings is someone who is still very new to the team, but is doing really well. And that is goaltender Martin Jones, who right now, two consecutive shutouts in his last two starts. That's pretty damn awesome. And um, the Kings have three shutouts in, in their last five games, again, two of which are Martin Jones. He makes like league minimum right now and is going to be up for a new contract as well, although he's at RFA. So a little more... A little more bargaining room for the Kings there, but still, I'm not ready to see him go either. They just got him. I laugh every time I see his salary on CapGeek because I, <laughs> I like always think it's a mistake, or I just want everyone to be like, Shh, "Don't tell anyone." <laughs> like, just let him, just keep him forever. Um, and regarding that shutout that he had against the Coyotes, not only did he shut them out, but he stopped us from all having to listen to that ridiculous howl at all. Oh, that's so, um, so that is another reason to keep him around because if he can post shutouts against the Coyotes, like at what the I don't know what their new arena is called, the Gila River, like a Gila monster. That's what I'm <laughs> that's the only reason I remember it. Because <laughs> I was gonna say just like you know not jobbing.com arena or whatever. Um, if he can do that and do that always, then he is definitely worth keeping around. Yeah, I despise that howl i just find it so obnoxious and irritating it's it's kind of i mean it makes me wonder if that's how people feel when like they are watching games in staples center and and they're for the visiting team and like the cartman thing comes on (laughs) like do they find that just so annoying that howl is horrible oh i know so so many people who hate cartman um on the king's board like because you can always hear it over the broadcast um, yeah. And yeah, people gripe about it all the time. But I always find it lovely because obviously it's for the Kings. Um, yeah, yeah. But I guess every every team has a little something like that. And I guess the Coyotes love that hell because I hate it. It's the worst. So if Martin Jones has done nothing for me, and he's done quite a lot for the Kings team and thus for me, if nothing else, he prevented me from having to hear that howl. And for that, I am super grateful. Also, he's... (laughs) Thank you, Martin Jones. He's very handsome, and he holds owls for no discernible reason. So that's another reason to keep him around, I think. (laughs) Hands very true. handsomely holding uh, owls. Neither of us have seen the King's Weekly episode yet, but it would be rad if it turned out that Martin Jones had a bird. <laughs> I was just thinking, like in that house. I would really like him to have like a stuffed Hedwig, um, oh, like just perched somewhere. Like he has some like weird obsession with owls. <laughs> oh yeah, I think yeah. Like you, you mentioned that last time, like him as a harry potter character what house would martin jones be sorted into Ooh, i don't know 
Okay, this is like legitimately one of my favorite things is imagining who <laughs> random people, I don't care who you are, just like imagining which house that you guys would be, like these people would be in um, or anyone would be in. Um, I don't know if, how much do we know about Martin Jones? Not a whole lot. Yeah. And also my default thing is personally to say that everybody is a Hufflepuff. I, I was just about true. to say I think he's a Hufflepuff <laughs> because unless something else like comes forward, um, I just imagine that he's a Hufflepuff. Dedication, hard work, fair play. I'm really glad that we're on the same page about this. Like, you have no idea how (laughs) pleased I am when you said that you, like, just assumed that he's a Hufflepuff. So that's what's up. He would be your, like, hot prefect um, (laughs) in the Hufflepuff house. He's the new new Cedric Diggory. (laughs) Oh, it's true. (laughs) Quidditch and hockey humor. But anyway, so he has... So he's played 26 regular season games. He's got six shutouts. He's a hot commodity right now. So I feel like if, I mean, I don't think the Kings would trade him, at least not anytime soon, because I don't think they are looking to have like Barube come up right away. But it is kind of scary to think that Martin Jones might only be around for a couple seasons if money becomes an object, because obviously Jonathan Quick is still the starter. So an interesting extra worry to add to the pile not as not as urgent as some of those other contracts but another thing that's kind of like i don't know maybe because they still haven't paid like tyler defoley or tanner pearson either yeah i want to stick around someone else who stood out in that coyotes game captain dustin brown which was beautiful because the coyotes and the coyotes fans continue to despise him uh, they do, and the fact that he scored two goals made me so happy, and I'm sure, and like I and you, and I'm sure everyone else, uh, was wishing so hard for him to get a hat trick, because that is, been so nice. that is the best place for him to get one. Yeah, oh, yeah, I don't think any other building would be as good, except maybe against the Canucks. But even then, like, there's been so much changeover in that organization that it wouldn't feel exactly the same. So probably at this point, Coyotes is where it's at. Yeah. For, like, maximum Dustin Brown pain for the opposition. Yeah, that would be, like, the biggest (laughs) fuck you, is if Dustin Brown scored a hat trick against the Coyotes. It was good. He had three points, and then on the fourth goal, which was a power play goal by Martinez, he was the screen. So he didn't get a point, but he was a key person. You know, he had his butt all up in Devin Dubnik's face. So good things from him. And so I was quite happy. Um, I love it. I just love it when Dustin Brown can agitate people in that way, at least. I'm used to it with the hits, people getting mad at him. But when he's scoring goals, even better. Yeah, that's even better because it's like, are you like, why do you, are you going to be mad at this? Like, it's legal. It's fine. Like, there's nothing to complain about. It felt good, too, because on the broadcast, like early on for I don't know what they were talking about that led to them showing a shot of Dustin Brown on the bench because it was before he had scored any goals. So they had a shot on him and their color guy for the Coyotes broadcast was like, and that guy is someone that Coyotes fans would love to. And then he just like had this pause. Like you could just tell that there was something horrible that he wanted to say. <laughs> and he was, had to like step back. But then when he finally figured out something else to say, he still decided on that fans would like to pop in the mouth. And I was like, mm, you didn't really fix it. But okay. Which makes so me wonder, what did he really want to say? And how horrible was it? <laughs> 
It was probably so awful because he did have to take a moment to like think about what he was going to do <laughs> and it still didn't come out well. So it was nice then to see Dustin Brown, not that he knew that that had been said, but, you know, respond in a way by scoring on them two times. And especially the first one being that ridiculous turnover lead to a breakaway situation. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that was pretty absurd. It was awesome. I was so satisfied <laughs> by both of his goals. Uh, Mike Richards also had a really good game. He wasn't a player who was on the score sheet as much, but he had like he, he uh, had a lot of possession. Whenever he was on the ice, the Kings were doing good things. I don't know if it was after that game. Possibly. It's, at some point this past week, Sutter was talking about, I think it was, I think it was after this Coyotes game, they were talking about how Mike Richards has been faring so far this season and whether or not the management, or and he, whether he feels like he's sort of getting back to what Dean Lombardi was looking for when they had their, you know, heart to hearts, apparently, at the end of last season. Um, And so they talked about his conditioning and how he's playing, and he thinks he's on the right track, but he can get better. And so they talked about trust, which I thought was really interesting, because there was sort of a difference in perspective. What he said when, like, talking about just what he thinks, or what indication that he's gotten from the coaches and stuff to make it seem like they like what he's doing so far. And he said, trust, you know, of being on the ice against people I've played my whole career against. But at the same time, it's taking those D zone face offs, being out there at the end of games and stuff like that. It sucks that I have to get it back. But at the same time, that's the way it goes. And then when reporters asked Daryl Sutter about this, he said, I totally trust Mike. He doesn't have to earn it. Again, it's not about Mike. It's about the position. And I think he totally understands that he's about the end result, the win part. That's what he's about. It's not about anything other than that. His minutes will go from somewhere in the low teens to the high teens. And then Sutter also just mentioned that, like, at the same time, everybody's minutes are going to fluctuate when guys aren't performing the way they need to. And he specifically called out Andre Kopitar, who has been slow to get started, though he's been better the last few games. So I thought it was just like an interesting split in the way or like the priorities and the perception of the coach and like the way the player sort of self-identifies and whatnot because Mike Richards playing a lot of minutes but he doesn't see himself like he you know he doesn't want to be a fourth line guy necessarily he wants to be trusted as a game breaker it was kind of fascinating well yeah the players are always gonna want to I don't want to say like be a big deal but you know be the best that they can be in uh you know be a large part in the fact that the team wins. And while some people are fine with being like a cog in the machine, um, I definitely think that Mike Richards, I mean, obviously his play has declined, but he used to be extremely, extremely good in terms of like being a, a playmaker for, you know, whatever team he was on. Um, so like that, that fall from grace, if you will, um, is I think unexpected and weird for him. And he wants to get back to that. But in this case, I mean, Daryl Sutter kind of just knows him as, you know, this guy that can do good things for the team, not necessarily like the big thing, um, and is fine with his role as that. But I, I can see why Mike Richards would want more. It's sort of interesting, too, because, and this, I guess, goes back to, like, we were talking about the embarrassment of riches that the Kings sort of have in their in, in their lineup, is it? Even if Mike plays really, really well, and I like how I just called him Mike, like we're besties, first name basis. Even if he plays really well, I at least would be reluctant to put him back as the second line center because I think Jeff Carter 
Um, with the exception of like recently when like Gabrick has been out and they need some extra help on that top line wing or something for the most part, like if everybody's healthy, I like Jeff Carter center on that second line. And so, but so then you're like, all right, we'll put Mike Richards in the third line role, but that's still like bottom six probably in his mind. So, I mean, cause technically it is, but it doesn't mean it's any less important. So it's kind of an interesting thing where it's like, even if he does really, really well, where do you put him? Yeah, that's going to be interesting. And, like, I know that with the whole thing of us talking about the cap and, you know, people may that people might not be coming back, Mike Richards is definitely, you know, on the table for that one just because of his huge cap hit. So uh, it could be that, you know, he wants to move as well. Play a big role somewhere else. Yeah, pretty, uh, be pretty ironic. I guess, or it it will be pretty sad, too, if the reason that Mike Richards becomes expendable for the Kings, and some people already think he is, uh, is if it's kind of at the hands of his BFF, Jeff Carter, because Jeff Carter already fills his role, which is true at this point. <laughs> you know, Jeff Carter is the King's second line center. For the so record, where do you put Mike I would be just devastated if Mike Richards was traded. <laughs> like, I understand why he might be, but I would be distraught. Yeah, I really like when he's playing well, I really like watching him and the way that he seems to think about the game when he's on the ice and the plays that he tries to make. Like we, you know, we joked a lot very recently about him trying to complete um, his, you know, drop passes, but I still like him. Like when stuff goes well, it looks awesome, but um, it would be interesting. And I don't know, somebody should at least write like a really sad country song about his own best friend. (laughs) inadvertently pushing him off the team oh someone should fake rap about it oh no (laughs) mike richard should he should write a sad rap about his own departure yes that's exactly what he should do i'm just kidding don't no one no one do that (laughs) that's what's gonna happen to mike richard so everybody prepare prepare for it and you know when he leaves we will all sing it sadly no that's so upsetting that's so upsetting so I mean, and then Mike Richards having, like, a good possession game, though. Like, I, I think right now we don't have to worry about him because he is playing pretty well. He's playing at least better than he was last season. And not entirely because of him, but I think he's an example of also the Kings and Generals trending in a in the right direction. I wrote, like, a post that was sort of focused on Jake Muzzin and his play and how he sort of drives play. But overall, like, the Kings team is improving. They've Their last three games before starting their road trip – they came out on the winning side of possession in all of those games. And some of them were against, like, you know, good teams like the Boston Bruins. They played really well for most of that game. And so it pushed them up briefly into number the 10 spot at 5-on-5 possession. But then they got bumped slightly down to 11th because, like, the Winnipeg Jets had a really great game against a depleted Anaheim team. But anyway, if finally the Kings seem to be, if they can hold on to it, especially now that they're on the road and they don't get the advantage of last change, if they can hold on to it, they could be returning to what we know them to be, which is an elite possession team. They are at 51.2 Corsi 4, about around there. So good signs, and it makes me happy, even though they lost against the Flyers 2-1 on Saturday. I'm not that worried because I like to see the systems and everything sort of even out. It's more important to me. Yeah, it's definitely more important that they get back to their possession game. And if it means like, Losing a game um, every once in a while, like, them's the ropes. It happens all the time. So, but if it means that they have good possession numbers, then I'm not too worried. Um, Because now I think we're used to them kind of 
you know, being kind of crappy, but we still know that they have it in them, like the team has it in them to come back. Like it's not the end of the world if they go on some losing streak or if they lose a game here or there. Yeah. So now they go on this road trip, which I think will be another test to, I mean, the teams that they're playing aren't especially hard, really. Like they start with Buffalo, which should hopefully be like the easiest thing in the world. They've already played them once this season and won. Hopefully they win again, even though that building has been surprisingly difficult for the Kings to win in for whatever reason. Hopefully they that doesn't continue. Last time they got really close to winning and then Jonathan Quick got injured. Um and then the ended up the game ended up going to a shootout. Right? A shootout overtime? Something yeah. anyway, they lost it. They lost. <laughs> um Hopefully no goalies get injured. Hopefully nobody gets injured in Buffalo. And this time the Kings pull out a win in that building. We'll see. I, I hope for, I mean, the only tough thing really is that they have to end it a game in St. Louis and they come back to Staples and play the Blues again. So, but otherwise, I think they have a pretty good chance at building up some more wins and getting those numbers, the underlying numbers continuing in an upward trend. I feel pretty good. I don't know. How do you think they're going to do? I think it's like a five, four or five game road trip. How do you think, how do you feel about it? I think it'll be okay now that they've decided that they can win road games. I am, as always, slightly concerned about the Sabres just because I don't want them to pull a Sharks and lose to a severely crappy team. Um, I am, however, excited to see the Kings play against Brunner. Um, just because I think it's funny. <laughs> because I'm ready for Roder to retire. <laughs> yes, that's actually the most exciting thing about the Blues game. I hadn't really been thinking too in-depth about that part of the road trip, other than that the Blues are going to be difficult. But now I'm like, you know what? It might actually be hilarious. <laughs> so that's what I want to see. And I also hope the Kings, like even more than winning on the road, I hope that when the Kings play the Blues in Staples Center, hopefully with Brodeur and Net, that they score a lot of goals so that the Kings fans can chant Brodeur's name. Um, I hope that they just, like, in between action or something, play um, goals from the Stanley Cup winning game against yeah. the Devils. That'd be kind of fun. Why has a Brodeur retired? I don't know, but let me enjoy this and have it be a hilarious time. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. You mentioned the Sharks again because they did, in fact, lose to Buffalo twice this season. And then, of course, like we mentioned recently, the Oilers. But that made me realize when we were talking about them earlier, I did not bring up the fact that the Stadium Series jerseys have leaked, in, including actually I saw an actual picture of the Sharks jersey. I guess they were doing a photo shoot for the reveal or whatever. The Kings unveiling is on the 16th of December. But we've already seen mock-ups of both jerseys from Mayor's Manor and Aesthetics. Um, it's like a like a half and half. Actually, I mean, the, the bisecting like stripe in the middle of both jerseys is pretty thick. So it's really like a three-color <laughs> three jersey um, going from top to bottom, though, rather than like piping or anything like that. Um, the Kings one, because they're the weight team, is like a silver, like gray on the top. Then with a, I think it's a black, right? Like bar and then white. So I don't, I like them better than last year's jerseys for the stadium series, but um, they're not amazing overall. I don't know. What do you think? Um, I think they're fine. Um, I am not jazzed by them. I'm not disappointed by them. They are just right down the middle for me, but um, it's only the fact that they are not the Burger King jerseys that yeah. I hate them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that fake 
tease that we got from the Kings, really nothing like the real thing can never compare now because I just want Burger King jerseys. I feel so hurt and trolled by the Kings (laughs) over this. Troll other people, not your own fans. What are you doing? (laughs) Give me a chromed out Burger King jersey, please. That's what I need. I need the Kings to look as horrible as possible (laughs) when they walk up into that for like for that outdoor game. But uh, alas. the Burger King, those weird gray swoops. I <laughs> wish that we could have had that. Oh, the sash gradient thing. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I want it so badly. But no, we get something else. And I think, I mean, I think they look fine. I like that they attempted to do something that looks different from most jerseys. Um, but yeah, it just can't compare to the Burger King jersey, unfortunately. Yeah. It- if we don't think about the whole fact that it could have been the Burger King jersey, they're pretty fine. They're pretty good looking. So yeah. I'm fine with them. It'll look good. Oh, random note, just before I forget to mention it, and I just noticed it again written down here. Andy Andreoff apparently has been lent to Manchester on a conditioning loan. And I assume that that means that he will meet up again with the Kings at some point during their road trip. Um, possibly because he can be there for a total of 14 days. And I assume the reason that he's there is because the dude has not played for the Kings since October 31st. So they want to make sure he stays sharp. And they can do that without without having to send him through waivers or whatever to actually reassign him to Manchester. Yeah, so that's good. I mean, that he's going to get... Because I kind of assume that someone on the Kings will go down with injury soon. Seems about that time. (laughs) So, yeah, he should probably be uh, pretty sharp instead of sitting around in the press uh, press box or something like that. So, um, I'm sure he's kind of disappointed to be going back um, when he thought he was going to stay up with Kings. But, I mean... It is what it is. So mm-hmm. I hope he plays well, stays sharp, and can be of use to the Kings later. Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of the trade-off of being a depth player is like, sure, you can be up with the roster, but you might not play because, you know, they don't they don't have a bunch of injuries right now, at least not to forwards. And so sometimes you warm the bench a lot. And at least I think it's good that they're trying to get him some playing time at all, because I'm sure sitting and watching is only fun for so long. <laughs> um, so he will at least get some games in and then play for the Kings eventually, I am sure. Um, not related specifically to this news, but I realized reading Daryl Sutter quotes where he mentioned Andrioff and he just called him Andy. And at first I was thinking, why is he referring to him by his first name? I mean, sometimes he does say like Jonathan instead of calling like Quick uh, by his last name or something like that. But then I realized Andy Andrioff's like hockey nickname would still be Andy. And so his name is Andy Andy. And that's pretty funny to me. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I don't love it when people have two first names, but that's egregious. Like, you know, if they have two, like, their first name and last name is, like, you know, like, they're both first names. I just think that's slightly odd. I don't hate it, but it's always just like, that's strange. Um, Yeah, yeah. But that is horrible. Andy Andy. I don't know what it is about his name that's like, it should not be as hilarious as it is to me. Like, first I was like, Andre Andy, funniest thing I've ever heard. And now I'm like, Andy Andy. That is just amazing. Amazingly hilarious. I don't know what it is about this dude's name. Although now I'm just imagining his name written on the bottom of his shoes like it's Toy Story. (laughs) Andy Andy. What other King stuff? I don't think I have any other King specific news. So I will instead talk about the 
the AHL, but as it relates to the NHL. So the Boston Globe posted this piece um, about how important the AHL, and I, I guess this kind of relates since we were just talking about Andrea going back to the AHL for a while, but it was talking about how important the AHL has become to the NHL's success because of the salary cap, which was... Um, that's what the article was largely about. Like, so the Kings have had to have more communication with their teams because they do need that cheap depth help in order to get through the season, in order to get through the playoffs and whatnot. Um, but it started with an interesting tidbit about them testing out the changes in overtime in the AHL, which I had forgotten about. Like, I remember reading about it when those changes were announced, but then I didn't think about it again. And Basically, it was saying that the switch to four on four overtime for several minutes and then like a switch to three on three. I think it's like after if nobody has scored a goal in that first four or five minutes, maybe then it goes to three on three. Anyway, so from this article, it says, quote, last season, 65 percent of overtime games in the AHL went to shootouts. This season, entering this weekend, only 23 percent of overtime games had to be settled in shootouts, which we all know I hate the shootout. So this was already amazing news for me. <laughs> Can I just say really quick that I went through my photos on my phone and there are a couple of photos of you um, when we've been at games during a shootout and it's just you like curled in on yourself like in a hoodie <laughs> and just like in a ball like not watching the shootout. And I've like secretly taken pictures of you doing that. <laughs> It happens during the shootout or when they're like excessive amounts of special teams during a game. Like after a while, I just hit my limit and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do it. I don't know why special teams after a while just become overwhelming to me. I think if I could watch hockey, like sometimes I'm like, if I could just watch five on five hockey forever, I would be so happy. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> All these other special circumstances start to stress me out. I'm very delicate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, so the rest of this quote, it says, the reduction stems from a rule change introduced this season following a proposal by the AHL's competition committee. Overtime is now seven minutes, like the NHL teams play at 4 on 4 to start OT, but upon the first whistle following, oh, it's a, so following three minutes of play, teams go to three on three, which that's so we all knew that. But here's the other interesting part. Okay. It says, according to Andrews, and they're talking about Dave Andrews, who is the president and CEO of the AHL. Um, according to him, the goal scoring rate during four on four action is once every 11 minutes. In three on three situations, it's a goal every three minutes. So, I mean, I would actually be totally fine with it if the NHL increased overtime to seven minutes. Right now it's a five. But the idea of three on three hockey I love it, first of all. And it seems to be more effective. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Would you like to see three-on-three three in overtime for the NHL or what? I would love that because I would love to see what... I, I think that's an interesting strategy choice for teams as well, to see which players would be put on the ice because, you know, they can do more with, like, that open ice than other people would. And I think that would just be very exciting. I think so, too. And I think... I mean, this article mentioned it, like, very briefly, like, the idea, like you said, the strategy part where it's like, all right, do you put out two defensemen and one forward? Do you put out two to forward, two forwards and one defenseman? Do you put out three forwards? Um, I would love to see a team put out three defensemen. Like, talk about bold. Amazing. <laughs> who, I mean, who could do that? <laughs> but um, Who has, like, three, like, really good, like, puck-moving defensemen or something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. 
that's, I mean, you have to have a lot of confidence here at decor. Like, I'm trying to think of the best offensive defensemen, and then I think, like, Eric Carlson and, I don't know, like, Shea Weber has a good shot, but are there two other defensemen that you would put out there with him and trust them in three-on-three? I don't know. Probably probably not. See, I'm having so much fun already thinking about this, so I would love it. I mean, could you imagine just, like, Dowdy, Muzzin, and Martinez out there? That would be so fun. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> it might not always, you know, go the way we want it to, but it would be yeah, awesome it probably to see. won't work the way that we think it's going to, um, or that it could, but it would still be a lot of fun to see. Yeah. I think it'd be funnier to think about, like, if those three were on the ice, and then what team they were playing, and who those like, Right, who would, would they be out. facing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but just, yeah, I'm just, like, thinking of Twitter, like, the soonest three-on-three happens, and the people that we see go out are Dowdy, Muzzin, and Martinez. Like, that would be awesome. And then, again, depending on who they put out there, it could be a real challenge. Like, if they're facing the Blackhawks, and they decide to do that for whatever reason, they're facing, what, like, Taves, Kane, and, and Keith, probably? Or Hosa and Kane? <laughs> and, you know, um, I don't know. It could be could be really interesting. And so I would love to see three on three, especially if it does seem to be more effective. Three defensemen for, versus three forwards. May the best may the best team win. I think yeah. that'd be hilarious. Like, and then think about like the bad teams if they go to overtime. Like if you have, let's say the Oilers and uh, let's say Carolina, because I feel like that is at least slightly more comparable <laughs> in terms of talent um, than like a Buffalo. If you put those teams on the ice, who do they put against each other? Maybe it's exciting, <laughs> actually, to see like Jeff Skinner go up against Taylor Hall with only a couple other guys on the ice, you know, to really compare. <laughs> could be fun. That could be fun. Like they could use their speed, they can use their skill and not have to worry too much about anything else or about someone else fucking it up. Yeah. I'm for it. So I thought that was interesting and something that I read about the AHL, which um, I don't I don't see a whole lot of news about the AHL just because I don't pay as close attention. But because it's relevant to the NHL, I liked it. So I thought I would mention it. Um, World Junior rosters are being mentioned. So that's something else. That, um, King's prospects have done pretty good. I think it's Lintuniemi, um, Adrian Kempe, Dominique Kubalik. Kubalik? Kubalik? I don't know how you pronounce his last Kubalik. name. Sorry. I think it's Kubalik. I don't know. Kubalik. Um, I think all three of them have been named at least to preliminary rosters yeah. for their respective countries. So that's good. Nice to see um, King's prospects developing and getting some recognition. Zikov, I think, was the only other one for Russia, but he had that hernia, and he is not back from it, I believe, yet. So who knows if he will actually get to participate in World Juniors, but they want him to if he can. Things are, I mean, things were already looking good for the Kings with, you know, like Toffoli and Pearson and Jones and all of them doing well. And then, you know, Andrioff is there and like your your love Jordan Wheel is like hanging out in Manchester and like to see even more great players like down the pipeline is very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's really heartening. And it makes me... I mean, because of the fact that we don't see them play all the time because they play for junior teams who we don't pay as close attention to, whenever I hear that there are prospects who are doing really well, I'm like, oh, great, I can't wait to see this person play in whether it, if, you know, if it's eventually with the Kings. Or, I mean, there's been all that talk about creating a Western division of the AHL. So if, like, those guys eventually all play for, like, you know, the Monarchs, and when the Monarchs come down to Southern California, maybe I'll get to see them play then. That would be nice. That would be so exciting. I would go to so many AHL games. Oh, me too. 
<laughs> spend even more money, which is not great for my wallet, but would be good for my spirits. <laughs> I mean, I think that's mostly it. Not to, you're not trying to totally ignore everything that happened at the beginning of the week with Slava Voinov. So actually what we're going to do is participate in hashtag hockey, um, are going to do a podcast focused on Hockey Fights Domestic Violence, the hashtag Hockey Fights DV, and talk about that. So we're going to talk about a little bit more there um, in in terms of just like everything that the Kings did and that ongoing issue. I don't know. Is there anything that you would like to say about it now, I guess, ahead of that? Um, I guess not really. Uh, I think it's fairly clear by what we've said and anything that we've retweeted that we find it um, pretty shitty what the Kings did. Um, it seems like an extremely, you know, arrogant sort of move to be like, well, we'll just push the envelope, see what we can get away with. And they essentially got away with it. I mean, I know that the NHL fined them $100,000, but that really doesn't seem like anything at all. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we'll definitely get into it more, like, more in depth, but it was just bad. (laughs) Not a way to start the week. No, it was, it was a really unfortunate way to start the week, and... They still, like you said, it, even with all that happened, they essentially got to get away with it and brush it under the rug. They had to pay a fine, but then it was like, all right, everybody then moved on to something else. So we're going to talk about it more on Hashtag Hockey. I don't know exactly when that is going to happen. It will be this week that we record it, and then I assume the episode will go up not too long after that. So we'll keep you posted um, on Twitter, and uh, until then... I guess you'll just have to wait to hear how we feel about misogyny and hockey and domestic violence. Um, I mean, we've talked about it before, but more. I think you can ass- you can assume where we stand on it. Right. I mean, we've been pretty clear. We did like some tweets and a post about it. So, but we'll talk about it more, and more importantly, we'll talk about hockey fights DV, which is a good way for fans to do something, even when they feel like they don't really or they aren't really able to affect very much change on the organization at large, which I think is important because I think people essentially like to be, if they care about something, at least sort of action oriented. It's good to have a place to sort of, a constructive place to sort of put your um, upset and your hurt. So we're going to talk about more about that later. We'll keep you posted. Um, I assume because because of that, we will also talk more about just women in hockey in general. So I don't think we need to talk a whole lot about the things that happened over the last weekend and not this just past weekend, but the weekend before um, and throughout the week a little bit. But I will mention it's been out there. You probably have seen it. Steve Lepore, who was a writer for Awful Announcing, he got fired from that job and his Twitter has been deleted because he was exposed by Tony McIntyre in particular. And then some other women also talked about their experiences um, where he you know, it was essentially harassment, like in Twitter, um, in direct messages and stuff where he tried to convince them basically to let him, you know, photograph them in various states of undress or something like that. And just being generally creepy and people didn't like it. And then from that, people about Maria Camacho, namely, voiced some concern she had about conversations that she had had with Adrian Dater that became very creepy. And he was... A, it wasn't the first time that the Denver Post had 
had to suspend him or reprimand him for his behavior on social media. Um, there was also that thing earlier this season where he got suspended for things that he had said first about Braden McNabb and then about and then two people who tried to say on Twitter, hey, maybe you shouldn't call Braden McNabb a pussy when you're talking about a headshot that he laid on somebody. You're kind of just making it worse in a different way. Um, so now he's been let go. His Twitter also deleted. It's been a not fun week to talk about or to have to talk about these kinds of things if you're women because we're sick of dealing with it. And but it keeps happening. And I guess really what I want to say on that right now is like, good job. Like, keep talking about it, ladies. That's what you should do. We should get to feel safe talking about a sport that we like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, we did a two hour podcast of of this like same topic when the Mooney thing happened um, earlier this season, and you would think that uh, people might have learned their lesson. We're all on Twitter together. Like, we all kind of see the same exact things. Um, and so it's strange, I suppose, to see what happened to Mooney and to, then to see it happen, like, almost immediately afterwards in pretty much the same way from people who were definitely a part of that conversation. Um, right. So that's very strange. But, uh, yeah, and, like, as... it's extremely brave for these people to come out and, you know, quote unquote, like jeopardize their place in the hockey community, because I feel like that's still kind of how it is um, in terms of like women participating, um, because then it allows other people to come forward. And that's extremely important. And it's nice to see that there is actual like tangible consequences to the things that these people have done. Um, instead of just it being dismissed or, you know, brushed off as like a boys will be boys, that's the way it is kind of thing. You know, things will happen if you harass women on the internet. And so I'm glad that, you know, there are consequences with that. I totally agree. As difficult as it is to have to have these conversations and talk about these things, and as hard as it is to see over and over again that they keep happening to different women, it is good to see that because women are being brave enough to speak about it, that like you said, something is coming from it and guys, individuals anyway, aren't just sort of getting away with things forever. Um, that at least is positive and heartening to me. Another thing that I liked was, I mean, there have been some some side conversations and stuff about how to be a better sort of ally or feminist ally if you're a man. But another thing that I saw, too, was a writer, Anna Gallegos, called out the mainstream media, basically, for like, look, these are guys who participate in publications that are not entirely unknown. Like, Steve Lepore, like, Awful Announcing was only one of the places he wrote for. He also, I don't know if he still does, but he was writing for, like, Rolling Stone. So these are, and like, you know, Dater had been at the Denver Post for, like, 20 years. So... These are places where these guys were either big outlets or had like well-established voices at these places. And so she basically called out those types of media outlets for not covering it, not talking about it. The So Sports Illustrated, she's an up-and-coming writer who I think um, is involved with them. I don't know how frequently she writes for them, but they asked her after she did bring it up to write a little bit about it. And she, you know, it was a pretty short post, but it was really great. So I just want to read part of it because I think, um, I think she makes a good point. It says, 
Hockey has always been a sport dominated by white men, but female fans and bloggers are finding their own voice on social media, which is a shock to the status quo. And strangely, the hockey community and the media have been so slow to embrace this. The NHL and AHL teams work closely with the You Can Play campaign to reduce homophobia in hockey and increase LGBT participation, but there has never been a wide-scale campaign to actively engage women in the sport. However, the media are doing female fans a disservice as well by allowing press boxes to remain a boys club. Out of the 293 members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, I've been able to independently confirm only 23 are women. That's 7%. I'm sure that there are more than 23 female hockey bloggers out there, but they're missing from the most prominent websites. And I think that's a good I think that's a good point to remind people of is that it's not like it's just limited to these instances where dudes who are in a place of seemingly more power um, try to sort of assert dominance or harass females online. Like, I think another part of that is that there aren't a lot of women sort of positioned as peers for a lot of these guys. And that's part of the problem, too. So I thought that was a good way for her to, A, call out the situation, make a a mainstream outlet get involved, and then also advance it by being like, all right, but we don't just have to talk about, like, guys talking to other female bloggers or fans. Let's talk about how, if even if there are other bloggers out there, they're not in these, like, bigger positions or voices for these larger publications. So maybe a lot of people aren't aware that there are many female voices, and there are. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because, well, I guess not funny, but um, maybe I don't think about it as much just because we constantly see writing from, like, Lisa Dolman and Helene Elliott and things yeah. like that. Or I'll follow, uh, like, the Blackhawks a bit, and so, like, Tracy Myers always does really good things for them. Um, and so it's it's good to hear, like, those voices and people obviously, like, those fan bases respect them. And um, I would love to see that more widespread throughout the league. I mean, I, obviously, I don't know exactly how um, other teams' media kind of shakes out in terms of, like, mainstream media, but um, there could always be more. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was just a good point by her. And again, we'll probably talk about that kind of stuff a little bit more on Hashtag Hockey, and we'll keep you updated on when that is happening. Um, so I guess before we get out of here, Diane, any parting words for the people? Um, I didn't have any last time, and I don't have any this time. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I did, like, the first time we recorded this, we did talk about Jonathan Bernier not knowing who Nelson Mandela is, because it was oh brand new. Oh my gosh, new. yes. Um, it is no longer a brand new thing, but it's still funny. <laughs> so, brief mention of that again. I hope I, that I do want to mention, <laughs> I do want to mention one thing. Like, that was an event for, like, hosted like, in the name of Nelson Mandela, why would you not look it up before you got there? <laughs> yeah, like, at least a description of who he is. At the very least. No one thing that he did. It's like, just... okay, so so when we were recorded before, I was like, okay, I did not have a ton of money in college, so I would go on campus and eat at every single, like, club meeting that I could get myself into. But before I did, I looked up talking points in case someone was like, who's this girl? And asked me a question. I could answer with, you know, relative ease and then continue eating whatever, like, food that they had left out. So I don't understand how he could not have done the same. I think, or at the very least, like, how do you not, how do you know that you don't really know and then still have, like, the audacity to do an interview? Like, if I didn't know, I would at least be at this event and doing everything I could to duck 
interviews, <laughs> but he boldly did one and totally gave some answer about how he had been watching Nelson Mandela, you know, when he was growing up, he was a great, a tremendous athlete. And then, <laughs> but my favorite part is still the quote after where he's like, the second reporter asks him something about like why it's important for him to be out there and participate in the charity. And he's just like, well, you know, I love a cause. <laughs> I love any kind of cause. No matter what the cause. That's dangerous there, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> no matter what the cause, I love it. Jonathan Bernier. He loves the cause. That's the note we will leave you on. Um, take care of yourselves, everybody. Oh, first, I got to do my, my outro spiel. Um, Ticketmonster.com for tickets. Obviously, the Kings are on the road this week. So if you live in other cities, check it out. Maybe you want a resale ticket. Sometimes they're cheaper than like StubHub or anything else. Just give it a look. Go to our schedule page. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We are at ThanksBud or individually. I am at Chanel Berlin. And I'm at AKA Diane Fan. Or you can email us. We've had a couple people email us just to talk about things that they wanted to related to things that we talk about on the podcast or whatever. We're very nice people. We like it. Email is chirp at thanksbud.com um, and we will write you back. Uh, I think that's all. Otherwise, take care of yourselves. We will talk to you in less than seven days now because we had to re-record this. Uh, and then, you know, until then, be merry. Later, guys. Bye, everyone.